Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sarah Ellis, and this is the Squiggly Careers podcast. On today's podcast, you're going to hear two conversations that Helen and I have had over the past couple of weeks, all about the topic of humour and laughter at work. This is a topic that I've been keen for us to explore for a while, and I don't know about everybody else listening, but certainly since the start of lockdown, I felt that being able to laugh and smile and just have some fun has just felt even more important in what has been tough and hard times. And actually, the research reinforces this. So it shows that actually, when we laugh at work, it relieves stress, it helps to increase our engagement. And even things like laughing at yourself signals to those around you that actually you're probably okay. So today's episode starts with Helen and I interviewing Naomi Bagdonis and Jennifer Arker, who together they lead a course at Stamford um, at the business school there called Humour Serious Business. And they're also the authors of a book coming out called Humour Seriously. Uh, and they're both really fun and smart to talk to, really insightful. And then the second half of the episode, you're going to hear me interviewing Lynn Parker, who is the founder of a company called Funny Women, and Deb Leary, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Forensic Pathways. And Deb, as well as having an OBE, her and her business have won a whole host of awards. And both Lynn and Deb are really fascinating people to talk to. They are both kind of practitioners of a lot of things that we're going to talk about in terms of humour at work real advocates for the difference it can make. And so it's just really interesting to kind of hear their live experiences. And as a reminder, every Thursday at nine o'clock, you can join us for a free live 30-minute workshop, which is on the podcast topic for that week. If you head over to www.amazingiflearning.com, you can catch up with previous sessions, you can sign up, and there's lots of other free resources there, things like our books in brief videos or all the career tips that Helen often does on Instagram. She now uploads there too. And so I think that's all for now. I really hope you enjoy today's episode and I'll be back at the end just to let you know what's coming up next. I'm going to dive straight in to the book and really wanted to explore some of the themes and the kind of topics that you discuss. A, I was really intrigued by how you got Ed Catmull to write the foreword for your book, which I was very impressed by. But specifically, there was a sentence that he kind of finishes his foreword with that really struck me as something I thought was kind of a really pertinent way to kind of kick off our conversation today. And he says, where there is serious work punctuated by levity, that's where we find meaning. And this word levity, I feel, is a really critical place for us to kind of begin exploring humour at work today today. 
because it comes up quite a lot. And actually, in lots of the different research I've read around humour at work, it's talked about. But I'm not sure it's necessarily everyday language for us. So perhaps we could start by just exploring, A, what do we mean by levity and kind of why it's important? And what's the difference between levity, humour and comedy? It's such an important distinction. So imagine a pyramid, levity is the base, and then you climb up and you get to humor in the middle. And if you have the skills and the gumption, then you make it all the way to the top to comedy. So thinking of it that way, at our base, we think of levity as a mindset, an inherent state of being receptive to joy and actively seeking joy. So a mindset of levity means simply navigating the world on the precipice of a smile instead of a frown. And it's that simple. So humor, once we get to that level, is an intentional act. So humor is the act of channeling our levity with some degree of skill. And then at the top, we have comedy. So comedy is the practice of humor in a structured discipline. And similar to you could think about sports, it requires a dexterous command of sort of the techniques of comedy and also a whole lot of training. What's important about these three levels is Our goal is not to turn people into comedians. Instead, it's about teaching you and your teams to navigate your interactions with each other with more levity. And hopefully every once in a while, climb up to the humor level without getting too winded. And what we find is that, you know, the executives that we work with who are able to make this mindset shift and bring more humor to work have more confidence at work. They're better able to handle stress and they just feel more like themselves. And you talk there about the working with students and working with executives. And I would imagine in helping them get to that mindset that you must encounter a few myths, like you said about the, you know, people thinking they maybe have to be a comedian to have humor at work. What are some of the myths or misconceptions you've come across in terms of humor at work that you maybe have to overcome to begin with to get people on on the journey? What we find is that our students and the executives we work with, they usually have one to four myths inside their head. The first myth that's maybe the most common is that most people believe that humor simply can't coexist with being serious. That humor simply has no place at work, which is very serious. They believe that they will be seen as less serious if they use some humor or levity or show any signs of humanness or mistakes or flaws. But that's not true. We, what we find in both our research as well as in uh, with our students is that when you use just a touch of levity, even if it's not good levity, it's not even strong humor, that people actually ascribe increased perceptions of status, competence, and confidence to you. It just has to be not inappropriate. So that's all we're working with. We're just saying not <laughs> inappropriate because the bar in work is so low. The second misperception is that they really feel that the cost of failing or rubbing others wrong is so significant. But remember, as long as you have not inappropriate humor, it has increased levels of the competence and the confidence and the status. The third is that most people believe that you're either born with it and that humor is sort of innate. You either have it or you don't have it. But based on our five years of teaching this class together, we find that humor is in all of our nature and that it's a skill that we can develop. I can't believe anyone thinks, oh, I wouldn't mind a few more smiles in my day. I wouldn't mind a bit more kind of joy and laughter. I think most of us would definitely kind of like more of that thing. So 
what is it that they can then actually do? Like, what could you then do perhaps yourself as an individual? And what could you do maybe as a team? One thing that Naomi and I do is that we often have the students do actually a quiz just for them to get to know themselves and to know what we find is that when they know their own sense of humor, they actually show up in ways that are much more authentic. And then the second thing they do is they start to read the room. They start to be able to assess other people's humor styles. And what we find is that once they understand their own style, they show up much more authentically, they take greater risks, they have more fun in the class. And then second, when they're able to start reading the room, which is both understanding other styles as well as the goals in the certain context, ultimately um, empathy starts to arise. They really have greater empathy for others. And then third, we start to help them understand how to shift their style depending on their goals in a meeting or an interaction or based on what the audience is. And you really should see Naomi do this with them because it's sheer magic. They really shift their entire body language and how they show up. It's really quite magical. You know, when you're thinking about the range of exercises that you do, do you think about that kind of introvert, extrovert tendency? And and how do you kind of make sure that it, it kind of works for everyone? First of all, yes, different formats work better for different people. I might shine in an improv setting and you might shine in a different kind of exercise that we do with our students called Mind Your Life, which I struggle with. It has more self-reflection. It has more solo time and perfecting the language that you're using rather than being really spontaneous and on your feet. So what we do is we try and in the class, not only talk about these different styles, but be really explicit about what the exercises are and who's going to feel most comfortable with each exercise. Mm. A common misconception about humor is that it involves inventing something from thin air, which feels really intimidating. And it's really more often about just being observant. So mining your life for these oddities, absurdities in the world around you, and then applying a couple of quick techniques. So what that means is the first step is to simply observe. So go through your day and just jot down anything that strikes you as a little bit surprising or different or interesting. And by the end of the day, just look back at your list. If you do this for 10 days, your lists will get longer and it'll become easier to see these little elements of your world, these little slivers where you can sort of poke your head in and say, oh, actually there's some interesting humor there. And then think about turning them to humor using exaggeration, contrast, or specifics. And it's really that simple. The key is just looking for them because once you start looking for them, you'll find a whole lot more. One of the things I wanted to ask you both about was about like the actual importance of humor. I was having a scan through LinkedIn's top soft skills. So they do this annual report where they do the top soft skills, the top hard skills, and humor doesn't make the cut. I mean, creativity is the first one. And then you've got persuasion, collaboration, adaptability, and emotional intelligence. They're the top five soft skills for 2020. But where is humor? And I wanted to get your perspective on should humor be in that top five list? How important is it for work? Well, yes, I think we can all agree the answer is yes. You know, we find that working professionals have fallen off a humor cliff. You know, there's one study, it was conducted by Gallup that showed 1.4 million people when asked whether they smiled or laughed yesterday, the, the results were stark. At 14, 16, and 18, people said, yes, I definitely smiled or laughed yesterday. And then suddenly around 22, the answer becomes no. 
So basically, right when we enter the workforce, we fall off this humor cliff and we stop laughing and we don't start again until we retire. Like literally, it doesn't pick up until 60 or 70. (laughs) So you're going to be fine eventually, but that is 47 (laughs) too serious years. As you said, you know, humor brings about so many benefits, not just in work, but also in life. And especially at a moment in time when we... um, as a society, as a human race, are facing so many challenges, the opportunity to be able to have some levity, use humor, not only you know improves your, your abilities at work, but again, it lifts you and your family and your teams and your friends in life. So Jennifer, I was really interested in what you were just saying, particularly in the context of kind of where we are today. So it's July you know, lots of us have been living in lockdown, perhaps that's starting to kind of ease, depending on kind of where and when people are listening. But certainly, I think the need for light relief has certainly from my own personal experience felt more important than ever. Even to my own podcast listening, I've been listening to way more comedy podcasts, because I think I've been looking for just moments to laugh in a world that feels very serious and tough right now personally and for kind of lots of people around us and I was just wondering what observations you've got in terms of the work that you've done and and actually what that means in terms of the world of work that we're all in right now and probably going to be in for the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah I mean I think we all are in a place of uncertainty and stress and the link between humor and psychological safety really lies in in laughter Even the anticipation of laughing has been shown to decrease cortisol, which is our stress hormone, by 39%, and epinephrine, which is the fight or flight hormone, by 70%. And that just makes us feel calmer and safer and less stressed. So, you know, in short, laughter decreases our stress, and lower stress means better performance. And so if we're going to, you know, talked quite a lot about the the principles and the importance of humor and if we think about the practicalities of putting it into our work like making our workplaces more playful what practically does that mean like how does it change how we do meetings does it change the the meetings that we're having what can teams organizations to do to inject a bit of playfulness so I'll tell a story I was talking with a good friend yesterday his name is Connor Demon Yauman he teaches with us at Stanford and he's the co-CEO of a large nonprofit in the U.S. And earlier this week, Connor was addressing his entire organization on a Zoom call. And it was this really important sort of tense moment. He, there's incredible hardship in the moment and he wanted to signal care and reassurance to his people. And so, you know, he was talking and he handed over to someone else on the call to talk. And at this point, Connor was sharing his screen. So when he handed it over to the other person to talk, he pretended like he forgot that his screen was still being shared. And so everyone in the organization could see what he was doing on his screen. He opened up Google and he Googled things inspirational CEOs say. (laughs) And the whole company lost it. And it seems like a little thing, but it was this beautiful moment of levity and signaling of vulnerability, right? The high-powered CEO is just like everyone else, doesn't really know 
what to do in this really hard moment and just wants to inspire and show care for his team. And so it was this totally unexpected and funny way of doing that. But those little examples, those little moments where we use humor to show a bit of vulnerability, to show our humanity is what we really need more of right now. Such a great example. Thank you. So one of the things that I'm really intrigued about is given that a lot of people now are working remotely, they're certainly not all together in the office at the same time. I wonder whether that affects how humour starts, how people are funny together, and whether you can still have moments of joy that we've described and moments of humour over things like, you know, Microsoft Teams and Zoom, for example. Is it is it the same in that context? You know, it is simply harder to build trust and bonds over screens. It's harder to peel away these superficial layers and feel comfortable enough sharing authentically. And so the power of laughter in that context is even more potent, right? That it creates this magic in our brains where we're more primed for connection, we're more sensitive to joy, we're more resilient to stress. And so even though it feels harder, it's something that we need to be prioritizing now more than ever. Actually, here are a couple of things. Not having virtual backgrounds, when possible, have your real background and talk about what's going on behind you. Talk about, you know, how Helen and I share a plant obsession and talk about how (laughs) Sarah has white walls and is in a bedroom right now. You know, talk about how Jennifer has lights behind her bed and how my dog Max is right here and how your son Max is right there. Zoom also provides this really rare window into each other's personal lives. And so there are ways that we can actually lean into the strengths of Zoom. You're seeing me in my living room right now. I'm seeing you in your living room. Whereas if we were in a room together, we wouldn't have some of that fodder for conversation. And remember, humor lies in truth. So just looking for the truths, what's real for all of us right now, that's where we can find some shared joy and shared connection. Things that I really reflect on when you think about humor at work and when I was reading through all the examples in your book is around this shouldn't feel forced. It's got to feel natural to you. And I think it's almost kind of starting from perhaps like where you already are. Like you kind of said, I think everyone is kind of funny in their own way. And I don't think this is about trying to force yourself to be kind of anything that you're not. I think it's about A, being a bit more deliberate perhaps and intentional in terms of thinking about how useful humour can be. But also I would be so interested if people started to think for themselves and within their teams how could we design our days, design our weeks so that we give each other kind of space to laugh and have those kind of moments of joy? And yes, we might take our work seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. Before we finish, we always ask all of our guests for their best pieces of career advice. So we'll come to that in a moment. But I did wonder if you had a kind of piece of advice that you'd want our listeners to also kind of take away with them specifically related to humor at work. So if you were to kind of say to somebody like, what's the best thing that they could do other than read your book, of course, what's the next best thing they could do if they wanted to learn more or just start to kind of practice more what it feels like to spend a bit more time thinking about humor in their day-to-day working lives? My humor advice is... Be more generous with laughter and value these moments of shared laughter together. And what I mean by that is not just in the moment, but when these moments of shared laughter happen, notice them and bring them back later. So in in comedy, this is called a callback, where you'll have (laughs) a shared moment of laughter and then later 
I'll make you a cupcake that has that line of laughter on the top of it. Or you'll put a note on the fridge that has something related to that line of laughter. And in that way, these single moments of laughter can snowball and can sort of create a culture where joy comes more easily. And that is the goal. The goal is not make a joke here or there. The joy is to create an environment, a culture, cultivate relationships where it feels like joy just comes easily. And do you both have a best piece of career advice? Some advice that perhaps you've been given in your careers that has really stuck with you, or I suspect your students must also ask you for advice quite a lot. And what words of wisdom that you kind of pass on to the next generation? My career advice is it is never too early to start bringing more of yourself to work and to bring more of your sense of humor. I personally learned this the hard way. I spent the first five or six years of my career essentially leading a double life and being super serious and austere at work and really having no personality. And as a result of that, I was close to burnout. And so around six years in, I started making this shift and What I found is that not only could I have more joy in the office, but I could feel more authentic and I could use humor as a powerful asset for me at work. So my advice is bring more of yourself to work, try and cultivate environments where joy can come more easily and start that now. I promise you'll see how it can redefine relationships, shift conversations, and also help in really meaningful ways in our careers. I will say that Five concrete tips that I would I would offer or suggest actually tie back to the end of our book where we do a deep dive into the regrets of the dying. My mom volunteered for our hospice for 40 years. And so I grew up around the dinner table hearing stories of people dying. And I heard these incredible stories of meaning and purpose. But I also heard stories of regrets. And and so I'll, I'll just end with five sort of insights around what seem to be the most common regrets of the dying, which I think actually have implications for not just how we, we might want to live our life, but how we want to show up at work and what we can do with our teams and our colleagues to be able to cultivate more meaning, but also humor. So the first regret is I wish I was less fearful of change. I wish I lived more boldly. The second is that I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, more authentic, not what society or others expected of me. The third was I wish I had the chance to really appreciate moments more and savor more joy and humor. I wish I didn't take myself so seriously, just like you were saying, Sarah, and laughed more. And fifth, and the most important is love. I wish I had the chance to say I love you one more time. And I think the way that these regrets actually can infiltrate our work is when we are more bold in the day-to-day or the week-to-week, as you said, we are more authentic with others. We're more present and appreciate and savor more. Uh, We laugh more generously and we not just say love more, but maybe just make people feel valued, which is really what love is. And what Naomi and I find is that when you have more humor in your life and work, Each of these five things is more doable. You're more courageous. You're more authentic. You're more in the moment because you're watching for these little moments. And humor really is just one short stop close to close to love. When you make others laugh, it's it's basically making them feel valued. So those would be the five I would leave you with. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I hope you enjoyed listening to Helen and I chatting to Jennifer and Naomi, and you're now going to hear me interviewing Lynn Parker and Deb Leary talking a bit about practical day-to-day ways that we can all get that little bit more humour into our work. So Lynn, Deb, thank you so much for joining us on today's Squiggly Careers podcast. Thank you. Thank you. You both have really fascinating work lives. So before we dive into today's topic for conversation, which is all about humour at work and laughter, which I think we probably need more than ever right now in our lives, perhaps describe a little bit about kind of who you are and what you do, at least maybe normally or what you're doing right now, whatever you think is kind of most helpful. I've made laughter and humour my career in a weird kind of way without being a comedian, which is a a very weird, even weirder (laughs) perspective on it, because I, a long time ago, it seems now, at the turn of the century, literally, (laughs) um, I was working in PR marketing and I was actually a publicist for a comedy club And I was absolutely shocked at how few women were coming through and performing. I um, questioned this and skipped through a very, very long story, which involved me not keeping my client and discovering that I could create something called Funny Women. It's a hotbed for new talent. So many women that are on the circuit now have come through the awards. We've had seven, this is year 17 of the awards that we're in the middle of now. And then around that, we've built a corporate business which involves training, coaching and development based on the principles of comedy and humour. And indeed, Deb and I (laughs) met because I challenged her to do stand-up. Deb, perhaps before we start, let's hear a little bit about you and kind of what your work involves, because it's it's very different. It's very, very different. And no one day is the same. And after being in business for getting on for 19 years now... So I started my business as a result of going to a a conference in Canada. Overheard somebody talking about forensics and came up up with an idea for a product. And and, and basically, my my job is all about storytelling. You know, forensics is about storytelling. Just like comedy, it, it evolves every day. And what's sexy and fun at one point isn't so sexy and fun at another. 
Yeah. And I feel like just even listening to you both, you know, you do vastly different jobs or kind of roles on the surface, but actually very quickly, it's it, you kind of already sound to me like you kind of have more in common than you do that's different. You know, you're both already kind of talking about storytelling and being experts in kind of almost human observation and kind of insight. I think at a principle level, we all recognise the value of humour and laughter and actually particularly in the tough times. So, Lynn, when you go in and, and work with organisations, perhaps describe to us a little bit like what does that look and feel like? So when we take that from a kind of principle to kind of a practical reality, like what are the sorts of things that you might do within organisations? Well, first of all, comedy and humour generally is a really great way of communicating. You always remember the funny person. Great statesmen, great and women and great performers know how to use comedy to make their points stick. What's going on in our bodies physically when we laugh is really important because it raises our spirits. We increase our serotonin levels and particularly in times of hardship like lockdown, that is why everyone's so hooked on on humour because it makes us feel better. So if you take that into the workplace, that can be really important. You know, if you want to motivate a team, getting them to laugh together is a really fantastic I mean, it's funny what people do for kind of away days for companies. Whereas actually going out and having, doing a comedy workshop or something together, plug, plug, that is a really <laughs> good way of getting to know people and to communicate with each other. Anyway, I'm, I mean, Deb actually is a really good example of someone who is does use her humour in that way because she's a great leader and she does do a few things. And, I, you know, I've seen her in action. She is funny and memorable. So, Deb, perhaps tell us a bit about that experience of perhaps appreciating for the first time that maybe this is something that you kind of already did, but then more consciously perhaps thinking about it and with perhaps a very gentle push from Lynn, actually thinking about, okay, how do I inject more humour into and comedy in terms of the work that I do? It's interesting, actually, because... When I first started on the journey, and I hadn't been going that long with the company, I got invited to do an after-dinner speech. I was really, really nervous about it, and I'd written this speech because I thought it had got to be proper. And I liked it. it was a labour of love, and I spent ages crafting this bloody thing. And um, I got to the event, and there was a few hundred people there. And people kept coming up to me, and saying, you see that guy over there, and started telling me funny things about this guy. You've got to start taking the mickey out of him, and you've got to start saying stories about her. And I started to look at my script that I got, and I thought, I am going to absolutely bomb. I am going to die on this stage, because I've been so serious. I've locked this down so tight. And so I, I tore it up, and I managed to remember the stories. And I just laid in to everybody that they told me to lay into, And it, it was great. And I think that was the first time it dawned on me. You don't have to lock something down so tight that you lose the human element. I naturally, after that point, started to think, well, I'm going to relax a bit more with what I'm doing. I'm going to relax with the staff a bit more and stop trying to be, oh, yeah, I'm the director of the company. I'm the CEO of the company. Therefore, I can't be human. I can't have any failings. I can't cock up. Everything's got to be perfect. And so Lynn gave me that nudge, really. And now, you know, 
when I'm doing presentations, I'll bring the human element in because I think what's happened over the period since I first started is that people are looking for people who are authentic. Look at all the great comedians. They are vulnerable and they show that vulnerability. And so, you know, I'm not the greatest speaker in the world. I don't want to particularly be the greatest speaker in the world because actually they can be quite dull. Talking about your own experiences and putting the world of business and what you're doing into context of the human experience, I think is where the value lies. My observation is that takes confidence as a leader, confidence and kind of bravery. And I wonder... What else kind of gets in the way? And is confidence one of the kind of big challenges that you come across in your work? I think we all struggle with confidence and little, you know, your confidence can be knocked very quickly and easily. That's anybody. I want to pick up on a few things that Deb said that I think are really key to this is that what Deb did and just talked about is about reading the room. She was given a gift and had the confidence to make a quick decision to put that into her talk. And then the other thing, just to pick up on Deb's thing about being vulnerable, absolutely key. Comedians are extremely vulnerable. That is what they demonstrate. And they're one end of it. They're really one end of the spectrum. And the familiarity, we all relate to people who tell familiar stories. So if you talk about your family and something that's happened to you, if you're doing a a talk or an event and you need to bring people together, those are the key points. And just following on from that, the comedian Carl Rayner, died and I saw a a quote from him and it said inviting people to laugh at you while you are laughing at yourself is a good thing to do you may be the fool but you're the fool in charge and I think that was a brilliant brilliant quote from Carl I thought I picked that up yesterday and I thought that's a great one for today you may be laughing but you laugh you're inviting people to laugh with you In a moment, I'm going to ask you both, as we kind of come to the end of our conversation, to share kind of two things. One, a piece of advice that you would give to people listening if they are thinking, okay, one action they can take to kind of inject more humour into their day-to-day work. Like, what piece of advice would you give them? And then I'm also going to ask you to share your personal best pieces of career advice. But just for me, in terms of as I've listened to the kind of conversation today and kind of the constant threads... I've kind of got to these three A's that I think are really going to stick with me, being kind of authentic, being adaptable, and that we're all funny. So, Lynn, perhaps I'll start with you. So what one bit of advice would you give for our listeners, specifically about humour at work? And then we'll go to Deb, and then we'll come to the best piece of career advice as well, just to close today. Now you've just said that to me, it's not really just around humour. It's more more of a business thing, because... Ultimately, I am supposedly a businesswoman. Um, (laughs) Debatable, but anyway. Um, And I think the one bit of advice that I would give anybody, and I think is related to humour, and it's kind of following on from what we've been talking about, is to follow the feeling and live in the moment, but trust your intuition, because if you don't feel right about something, it's not right. And I spent years and years listening to other people's advice And going into something and thinking, I don't feel right about that. It's like wearing the wrong clothes, isn't it? You know, you get there and you think, I would have felt much happier in my jeans doing this. But actually, someone's told me to wear a suit and I feel really uncomfortable. Well, you know, that's a very kind of graphic example of it. But that would be the biggest thing I'd say to you. If you don't feel right about something, if your intuition, your instinct is telling you this isn't right, trust it. 
because that's always right. The other a bit of business advice I was given was um, it's a weird one, but it was do the one thing. I'm one of these people that has a million different things going on all the time, juggling this. I've kind of got round it in a weird kind of way because within Funny Women we do lots of things, but I ultimately the one thing is Funny Women. But I was given that advice years ago by someone very big in advertising, and I think he's right. So that's that's it. Deb, how about you? I think you've got to have the ability and the confidence to laugh at yourself first. If you let yourself be vulnerable and not see it as a weakness, see it as a strength, and that you build on that vulnerability and you create a story around that vulnerability, I think that's the thing to do. So relax about yourself, laugh at yourself and allow your vulnerability to come through. And I think that ultimately shows that you are an authentic person, you're not a machine. And advice in terms of business generally, I think we have to be kind to ourselves and I think sometimes we're really tough on ourselves. So the piece of advice I follow for myself is things don't go wrong, they just go different. You can't make a mistake then. You haven't made a mistake. You've, you've, You've done something on the basis of what you know at the time. Therefore, you were human. So things don't go wrong, they just go different. Thanks very much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and it made you smile and perhaps even laugh along the way. Next week, we're going to be talking about flow and how to find your flow at work. I'm actually really surprised we've not talked about this before and it was a request from one of our listeners and it just goes to show you 150 plus episodes in and there's always more to talk about, which is good news. And if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or if you just want to get in touch, you can always find us on Instagram where we're just at amazingif. So thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 